0: Your Bibles, Somewhere, in Eva. Are you in the living room? Here I am. Can you do you know where my uh, iPad is charging over there? Yeah. <laughs> He's Rick's tuning the guitars right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Yeah, they won't know who it is. That's right. Good job, Jamie. Thank you. You don't know it's Jamie unless there's a loud clanging noise in the hallway. She loves me and I love her. Grab your Bibles. We are. <laughs> this morning we are in Luke chapter 24, uh, starting in verse 35. So grab your Bibles. Again, uh, I know that last week we said if you don't have a Bible, Uh, We want to get one to you. We actually gave away all the Bibles we had. We reordered more. Have we gotten those in yet? Do we know? Okay, they're supposed to be in this week. So we do. If you have said and put it in the comments that you want a Bible, we have made note of that. We want to get you a Bible. But uh, um, so if you are still without a Bible, if this is your first time with us and uh, you're going, man, where's Luke? Uh, Listen, we would love to be able to walk through with you. Um, Kind of how the Bible's laid out. So it starts to make some sense that it's not just some big, huge book of books. Um, But how is it laid out? Is there a rhyme, a reason to why things are together and how it is spaced? And then also, kind of how it lays out in history as well. Uh, Those are great things to know and very important for us if we're going to be able to, like scripture says, be able to give an explanation of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, That comes as we get to know our Bible. And that's That's a lifelong study. I've been studying this thing for more than 30 years now, and I got to tell you, there's so much more that God continues to teach me every single time I open it up, every time I do that for my own personal study, uh, but then also when I'm, I'm studying for sermons and getting ready for this time together, God just blows me away every single time I open his word. It's like, man, Lord, thank you. I want you to have that kind of hunger for his word. I want your hunger to surpass my hunger for it. I want you to just become a student of this thing and not a student like most of the students who are right now students who are begrudging, having to finish stuff out at home and parents who are now homeschool teachers that didn't plan on that. Not that kind of student, a student who is saying, I love this. I am excited by this. I want to talk intently about these things. So uh, grab your Bibles and uh, open them up. Uh, starting in verse 35, it says this, because last week we talked about uh, these two individuals, uh, disciples of Jesus, who were going from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus, which was just a few miles away. And they were talking about all the things that had happened, and Jesus joins them on the road, but they don't recognize that it's him. Again, you got to understand, these guys saw Jesus die. They watched that happen. They know he was put in the tomb. They had heard a story that the tomb was empty. But they did not recognize Jesus, and it says that God kind of hid that reality from them for the time. And Jesus got to walk with them physically, but also spiritually. He walked them through the entire Old Testament and said, Hey, look at what all of this says about the Messiah and all the things that he accomplished this week. And so they're still having that like day-after-Easter conversation. And it says this in verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Did you get that? You see, these two had heard a story from two other disciples that the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away. And those disciples heard from the two women that were there, the Marys that went. That an angel had told them he is risen. And so now we have these people telling these stories about their interaction with God. And in general, most of the people still at this point are not believing it. (laughs) They hear this thing, but it makes no sense. Like, how? I've, I've never seen that before. If I've never seen it before, how could it possibly be true? But they're telling their story. The women tell their story to the disciples. Two of the disciples run to the tomb and they see the empty tomb and then they report back and their story corroborates the women's story. And now these two disciples on the road to Emmaus have this experience with Jesus. And now they're telling their story. This whole week we've been going through this process of how do you tell your Jesus story? What does that look like? How do I... How do I even get to understand my Jesus story? And I've been asking you all week long as we've done those uh, those Facebook Live times together. I want you to study your story because I think we just go through life so many times and we don't think about what has happened and how it affects us and how it has changed who we are and maybe changed how we think. But I, I think if we are to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we are to be disciples of his as well, we need to spend some time and say, God, I want to not just remember what you have done, but I do want to understand what you've done. Because some of the things that God does are so big, they're so even specific sometimes, that we don't understand how the God who created the entire universe would care enough about me to make one little thing happen. That benefits me or blesses me or challenges me or convicts me. Why would the God of the universe who's in charge of everything care that much about me? If we don't spend some time going through our interactions with God, it is super easy for us to just kind of make it a bland vanilla. Now vanilla I love. It's delicious. It's the most popular ice cream, but it's vanilla vanilla. And your story, doesn't matter what your story is, but your story with Jesus is not vanilla. Unless we just kind of glaze over it and say, yeah, Jesus is good. He's done some cool stuff in my life. tell your story. We've been talking about that all week long. What was your life like before Christ? How did you come to know him? And what has it been like since? I hope that you've been studying How God has interacted in your life specifically. How God has done some of those prevenient grace works in your life. Maybe putting someone in your life that introduced you to Jesus or talked about Jesus. Or maybe somebody that brought conviction. I know for me, my brother was one that literally actually pinned me up against a wall and said, If you keep cussing, I'm going to punch you every time I hear that. That That was God's grace through my brother in the form of punches. And you guys wonder if you've been in church with me why I ask you to line up at the back for a slap line at the <laughs> end. If you need some Jesus slapped in you, I'm more than willing to do that because it has been punched in to me by my brother. and He's part of my story of prevenient grace, what it was like before I knew God myself. My brother was an example of that for me. What is your story? It's not vanilla. It's not like everybody else's. It's not even like your siblings, if you have siblings. So I do want you to tell your story. These disciples told their story to the other disciples. Why? Why do we need to tell our story to people that should already believe? That's a great question. I'm glad you're asking good questions this morning. Um, Here's why. None of us know what somebody else is going through right at that moment. And so telling what Jesus has been doing in our life may be an encouragement to somebody who is struggling in their faith in a way that we don't even know they're struggling. Because we all like to put our happy Christian face on if we have a happy Christian face. And it's a a mask and it's a lie and it's not something that Jesus ever asked us to do. Scripture never tells us, put your happy Christian face on, go to church, smile and say everything's okay. God never said that to you. But... For some reason, maybe we've sunk into practicing that, and we want everybody to just kind of leave us alone because we feel alone. And, man, hearing somebody else's story, though, has the ability to break through all of my doubt sometimes, all of what I'm hurting in the middle of, and hear somebody's talk about, man, God did that in your life? I want that in my life. I want God to do that in my life. Maybe I have questions, maybe I'm asking, like, God, why aren't you doing that in my life? I heard it in their life, and it, yeah, it was encouraging, but at the same time, I'm just going, Lord, what? what's wrong with me? Why, why, why not me? Why don't you talk to me? I love that question. I love that reality. I love that truth before God because now you're talking to Jesus. <laughs> He's a big boy. God's going to be okay if you don't understand something and you come to him and ask. Please go ask. Go directly to him. You don't have to. I am not your priest. I am not some go-between for you and God. However, I do know that there are times that we as Christian brothers and sisters, we can represent each other and we can pray for each other. We can intercede on each other's behalf. When somebody is hurting so bad and they don't even know how to pray, we can pray for them. Or maybe they don't even have a relationship with God yet, and we can represent them. They are our coin, and we are saying, God, I am brokenhearted for this person, and I want them to know you, and God uses us in that way to bring somebody closer to God. That happens when we tell our story. The disciples were telling their stories right then, only to the other disciples, because those disciples needed to hear that, and these were These weren't like, you know, people that had no experience with Jesus. This is like Peter and just some incredible individuals. John is in that and Luke's in this and they're hearing this story. And these are like huge, like all-star Christians in all of history needed to hear this story from these disciples about the fact that they had an interaction with Jesus and they kind of probably felt like fools, like we didn't even recognize him. Until he broke the bread and then we're like, it's Jesus, I know him. Elf reference. (laughs) It's not even Christmas and I'm throwing elf out there. That's a good job. Verse 36, we are one verse in, so here we go. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you. Again, last week we said this. That when we tell our Jesus story, we bring Jesus into the situation where we find ourselves. The disciples were telling the other disciples, Hey, we just had this crazy experience with Jesus. It was awesome. And they're like, What? Really? That's awesome for you. We didn't get that. I wish Jesus would show up. Oh, he's here. That's Dusty Farmer's translation. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is... As I was preparing for this morning, there are so many things that, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but Easter comes around every year. So there's been a few times I've read through this passage. There's been many, many times that I've preached through this passage, and it is interesting to me that this time around, it just hit me so hard. And I think we have this assumption that if we just tell somebody about Jesus, it's going to be awesome and they're going to be fine. But Jesus himself is willing to address the fact that in the midst of that room where he showed up, they still doubt that it's actually him. They have the same response, in fact, as when they were in the boat and he came out walking on the water, which we talked about a couple of weeks back. They're like, oh, it's a ghost. Jesus' presence does not automatically bring peace. You get that? That you can be sensing the presence of God himself, and there might be somebody in the room who is completely on a different page. If Jesus showed up in your house right now, would you identify that this is Jesus, or would he have to explain to you Hey, don't have any more doubt. I don't know why you're so afraid. Stop being afraid. It's me. Just because he shows up doesn't mean we always interpret what has happened, that we understand what has happened. And he has to explain to them. And he actually does something here that is huge because he allows them to deal with every single one of the fears and questions and doubts that they have He doesn't tell them, you're so stupid, just believe. That's not what he says. He does kind of say, like, why do you doubt? I get that you doubt, and so I am going to show you. Come, look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side. Touch me, see if I'm a ghost or not. I want, Jesus cares enough about you to deal with your doubts. Individually, one by one, and like, hey, this might take a little while. For his disciples, I mean, Jesus is like doing some major, huge theological realities in like quick succession here. And I think sometimes in our lives, we read through scripture and we see, especially in the Old Testament, like it'll from one verse to another verse, it'll skip like 40 years of time. And we think these things happen real close to each other. And that these people hear all this stuff. And maybe you even hear me talk about, well, I heard God say this. You know, like, well, God must only talk to bald pastor guys because he doesn't talk to me. And I got to tell you, the reality is that God's not in a hurry. And he is willing to deal with our doubts, not just on the surface, but willing to go all the way down to the root and weed them out of us. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that takes us going through a process that may be very uncomfortable for us. Maybe a process that includes a lot of fear. And we say, well, it must not be something that God's leading me through because there's fear involved. Well, here's the thing. Fear is our response to when God is doing things that are so much bigger than we can understand. And it has been just chewing on me all week long that, if you have been kind of confined to home and work has said, no, you can't come in, and you're going through this stir-crazy time, I do want you to wrestle with this a little bit. That Has there been a time in your life where you've said, man, I'm too busy. I wish I could be at home with my kids a little more. And right now you're at home with your kids and you're going, man, I wish I could get back to normal life. Mm-hmm. And God's like, <laughs> why don't you take what I've given you? Why don't you look at my hands and my feet and see that it's actually me, that I'm with you. I'm here in your house right now. I'm speaking to you and your kids, speaking to your parents. I am speaking to your neighbors, but your response is a fear one because you don't know who I am or maybe what I'm doing and you aren't understanding. And so that's all right. I'm going to stay with you. Still, they stood there in disbelief. Filled with joy and wonder. That's a very strange sentence if you think about the reality of it. Still they stood there in disbelief. Filled with joy and wonder. Disbelief, joy, and wonder are the three emotions that they are feeling at this time. This is not somebody who was not theirs opinion about what was happening. This is Luke giving his account of what he was feeling at the time. And you got to understand something. We are extremely complex. God made us in His image. And with that, He has given us the ability to feel so many things all at one time. And sometimes our feeler gets overloaded, and we don't know how to process. And so we just kind of go into, like, dial tone. listen. Most of you don't even know what a dial tone is, because that had to, you have to have an actual phone that you pick up. But our brains just kind of go into overload, and it's just like, we're just flatline, because we can't think or feel anymore, and so we just shut down. Maybe we get on our phone, and we start scrolling and get thumb injuries. That was at you, Dave. Um, <laughs> it's not how he got his thumb in here. Um, But... We, we shut down because we don't know how to engage what was happening or what God did or what he said. And so we just, man, I just got to take a break and like uh, deal with something that's way more comfortable. And God is not big on letting us be comfortable. I hope you understand that. I mean, I, we talk about that when we come together. Like, yeah, I care that you're not physically uncomfortable because I don't want you to be distracted. But in life, in general, God has never promised that we'll be comfortable. No, he's invited us on the most exciting journey with him ever. And if you've ever been on a journey, journeys are not always comfortable. If you've ever traveled with anyone in the farmer family, you know that usually includes a breakdown on the side of the road somewhere in New Mexico. And so there's points of discomfort, but the journey and the destination are huge and wonderful. And it's the same way with God. And we can feel all kinds of things at the same time. And the journey to deep faith, not just faith that's like, yeah, I believe that. I mean, it doesn't change anything about who I am, but I believe it. That's shallow faith. Deep faith goes through things that are difficult and awkward and sometimes painful and growth-provoking and things that I go, you know what? I am coming to a faith that is unshakable because I've been with God through so many things that He has proven Himself time and time and time again. That does not mean I won't have doubt again. It just means that my window for doubt is getting smaller and smaller. And when that emotion of doubt comes up in me and I'm excited, now I have learned to really turn that emotion of doubt into an indicator of the fact that maybe god's doing something here in me maybe god's doing something in my kids and when they ask me a question i don't know the answer about i let that fear response in me that's like "Uh, i should know why does my kid have better questions and i have answers and now i'm freaked out instead of freaking out in that moment are we learning to say god this is exciting i don't i'm uncomfortable lord When I'm uncomfortable, it usually means that you are stretching and growing me. So I look forward to where you're taking me. God, I, I acknowledge that my kid has better questions than I have answers for, which means I want to get back in your word. I want to ask somebody and maybe learn the answers for that myself so that in my kid's eyes I can look awesome when I tell them the answers. That's good parenting, by the way. Growth is uncomfortable. Growth in our faith comes from our faith being challenged. From us having questions asked that we don't have answers for and going to God and saying, Lord, what about this? Or from living life and having pain take place and we go to God with it and we say, Lord, what about this? The journey to deep faith is complex. Our journey is complex. It's mental, it's emotional, it's physical, it's spiritual. It is tied in time. Not because God is tied to time, but because we are. And then it says this, Then he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. See, Jesus starts engaging with them on these areas of their own lives. This is a physical thing that he does. He asked them, Come touch me. See that I'm not a ghost. I I don't want you thinking I'm just some apparition showing up. No, this is me physically here with you, raised from the dead. I did die. You saw that happen. But I defeated sin and death for you. So come touch. Make sure it's me. Make sure you can feel that I am a real, live human and then also, you know what? I'm going to eat in front of you. It's not just like I put it in my mouth and because I'm a ghost, it falls on the floor because I don't have a stomach. No, he ate it. They watched that. There was a physical engagement that they got to have with Jesus. Then he said to them, When I was with you before I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Again, he calls them back to something that they should have remembered. And so he deals with them on the mental level. So he's dealt physically and mentally with them now. And they're like, oh yeah. And when he was with those two disciples and he broke the bread, he did a physical thing that tied their memories back to a physical thing that they remember with him. Then verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. I don't know if you read that passage with me, so I'm going to read it again because I want you to engage with what it says. What does this passage make you feel? And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. That is an emotional passage Founded in truth. The scripture said he would suffer and die. Do you guys remember? I said I would suffer and die. I even told you guys that you would all abandon me. They are all feeling some very real and very big emotions. There's abandonment in there. They had expectations that Jesus would be with them forever and become the king that would set them free. From Roman rule, they had those expectations, and then he died, and all of their expectations went unmet. But Jesus didn't say that's what he came to do. And so he ties it back physically, mentally, and now emotionally. You guys are feeling this stuff, and this is real. To think the events of Jesus' death were not emotional for the disciples is to remove them from actually being human, and we cannot do that if we're going to understand the things that they wrote down. Verse 47 says this, It was also written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to tell all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And so now Jesus is addressing the spiritual reality, that they are Living through this physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual truth. Jesus is willing to deal with us on every single level. And if we are not willing to say, God, you have access to me on every single level. Maybe you've thought that all I need to do is understand what scripture says. That I I know the words that it says. There have been schools filled with people for generations Who have so much book knowledge about who Jesus is, but no personal knowledge of who he is. No interaction with him, no faith in him. And that is so cancerous to faith. When somebody knows everything they know, but it has not transformed who they are because they have not engaged emotionally and mentally and spiritually and physically with God. They've only engaged mentally. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. It's interesting this morning as we were getting ready, Eva said, man, God, give them the next steps. It's interesting because the notes that I wrote on Friday say this. Jesus gave them the next step. (laughs) Jesus told them Don't move until you have dealt with this. And I am the only one. God himself is the only one that can give you the power to deal with all of these things. And I think sometimes we get real excited about God. But we have no power to go do anything about it. And so our excitement fades. It's kind of like Jesus told a parable about this scattering seeds some of falls on good soil and it grows and it has incredible fruit but the other three places it fell it grew up quickly sometimes sometimes it got snatched away immediately but because it did not have the time to grow it was not in a place where it could grow it withered and died and i don't want that for your faith god does not desire that for your faith and so he does give his disciples next steps he says guys Stay here. What do you think they did during that time? Okay, Jesus. And then they just start picking their noses. No, they they probably talked about it a lot. They went through and tried to remember. Do you remember what he said when we were on the side of that hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee? He said so much stuff that day. What all did he say? And they start talking about all the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Or tried to kind of get their thoughts together and kind of put them in ways that they could remember. And so they gather a whole lot of the things that Jesus said and say this was a one-time event that may have happened over a course of time. But they spent time together going through what Jesus was talking about, what he said and what he did, because he told them, stay here. Don't go anywhere yet. Wait until I give you the power and authority to go. But until then, stay here. There's so much biblical precedence for this because when uh, Saul is literally blinded by God and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus literally sends him to the home of an individual who's going to train him in who Jesus is because Paul had all Saul had all of the background information he needed but he missed the fact that Jesus was the one that was being talked about in everything he had studied from the Old Testament. And so... God gave him time in the house of another believer to truly walk through and begin to understand. Before God sent him out to do all the things that God sent Paul out to do, he gave him time to just marinate in God's truth. And that's what Jesus does for his disciples. He says, stay here. Be together. Don't move on to the next thing that you think is the next thing, because that is so not the next thing that I have for you. Do you think the disciples would have gone and done what they did once the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them in their own thought process? Do you think they'd have been like, you know what we should do? We should go to the temple, and we should just start preaching. And I bet you thousands of people in one day are going to come to know Jesus. That's probably not what they would have done. They probably would have been like, i got to tell my mom. Maybe, maybe I should tell my brother. Our regular response is so far below God's next step plan, And if we try to rush ahead, we will never accomplish this crazy thing of repossessing Tucson and all of southern Arizona in the name of Jesus Christ with his love. That's insane. I, we can't, I can't do that alone. You can't do that in your power. This is something the Holy Spirit is doing right now, though. I would never have said, you know what we need? We need a quarantine. In order to repossess Tucson and all of southern Arizona, with the love of Jesus Christ, we ought to just lock ourselves in our houses and stop doing church like we've always done. That would never, ever have been a thought that entered my mind. But some of you are joining us today because that's exactly what happened. And so... The next step for the disciples that Jesus said was, stay here. Wait on me. Until I give you the next, next step, your next step is to wait on me. And he walked them through what it was he wanted them to do. Because he explained it to them. This is what scripture says. This is what I fulfilled. This is what scripture says. This is what I fulfilled. Talk about that. Begin to not just get it mentally, but allow it to... Answer your emotional responses, your physical responses, your spiritual responses. Jesus gave them the next step. And then he ordained their source of authority and strength, and that's the Holy Spirit. Do not try to do God's will in your power. Don't do it. Not because I don't want you to do God's will, but because I don't want you to fall on your face and hate God because you failed. And that's our typical response, is that when I try to do my best on my power and my strength with my authority, I can never accomplish what is expected of me by God. I cannot do that. And when I try to do it even the way somebody else does it, I can tell you this, I have personal experience with the fact that when I try to be a Christian leader like some other Christian leader, I fail. I fall on my face every single time because why would I try to do it in somebody else's authority, in somebody else's power? When God has called every single one of us to do it only in his power and in his authority, that he gives every one of us, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit. Are you willing to wait on the direction of the Holy Spirit and say, yeah. The Bible says I'm supposed to tell my story. So you know what your next step is? Tell your story. We talked all week long about how to tell your story. If you have not listened to that, if you haven't been through that, then get back online and go through those things. It's a very easy tutorial. And start writing your story down. And your next step is tell your story. Jesus gave his disciples a specific next step. I'm giving you a specific next step. Don't expect to hear something else from God. It's some big and awesome, powerful thing to do until you have told your story to somebody. It could be your kids. could be your wife. Start there, definitely. <coughs> but tell your story. Tell your Jesus story. Don't let it be all about you except where Jesus intersects with your life. The places that he has shown you things are the places that he has walked with you that you didn't want to walk. But he walked with you in that place. He strengthened you. Maybe he carried you through places. Maybe he gave you strength that you didn't know you had. Tell your story. That's your next step. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that, Lord, we are not called by you to do our best. Thank you for not asking something so impossible as accomplishing your will with our best effort. We can't do that. God, we can only place our full reliance on you and ask for your strength. And Holy Spirit, as you move through us, as you direct us, God, we will follow. God, you have asked us to be disciples, followers of yours. Not just goers and doers, but those who are willing to listen for you and what you say and then do the things you say to you. Even when it scares us, even when we think it might be impossible, Lord, if you say do it, we're going to do it. And so, Father, as we today have spent this time in your presence, Lord, you are building your kingdom here. And so we say thank you for that. God, we do ask. I ask personally, for every single person watching and hearing this right now, that Lord, you would speak to them personally and give them a next step. God, if it's telling their story to one person, then Father, I pray that you put that person's face in their mind right now, that you would break their heart for that person that may not even know who you are. Maybe they have some experience of what church might have been in the past for them, but God, you don't specifically care just that they come to church you care that they come to you and that lord they become part of your body that lord you are in an intimate relationship with them so father i pray that you do that you put somebody in every single one of our hearts that we this week could tell our jesus story to and that we would then be quiet and listen to the story that you are telling in their life right now of how you are interacting with them, what you are saying to them. God, we want to be good listeners as well. So, Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We love you, Lord. Continue to pray. Amen.